just look at that. There's certain ideas that I just offer, and then hopefully you'll check them out yourself and see how they work for you. And one of them is that you and I give everything all the meaning it has. Yeah? That's what this apparatus does. Your mind gives meaning to things. So in a sense, what that implies, in the way I understand it, is that, let's say, today I'm feeling pretty good, and this, is a pro this isn't a problem to me. Yeah? Let's say it's money or whatever. And then the next day I'm feeling bad, and it's a big problem to me. Next day I'm feeling pretty good, it's not a problem to me. What is it? Is it a problem or isn't it a problem? It's neither, really. It's the meaning my mind gives it. Yeah? Our collective mind has given certain things meaning, but that meaning is just the basic starting point to a subjective experience you're going to have. And a subjective experience means you give meaning to what you're experiencing. Yeah? So you play the biggest role in an experience. Not what you do and not what we think is out there as real and solid, but the meaning that we give it. Yeah, it's a subjective experience. So somebody could go through a, 20 people could go through and go through the uh, t turmoil of a very heinous act, like getting raped when they were kids. Yeah? But if you look at their history, they'd all, they'd all have different responses to that one act. And in, their, in our society, if you look at, we would give a lot of meaning to that act, and yet the meaning you give it will override its effects or not. Either they'll make it, you'll become a drunk or something, or maybe you'll, you know, jump off of that point and become incredibly strong. Yeah, this is called a subjective experience. That's what we're, that we're in right now. So when I look at something, I see it differently. I may see the chair, but my experience of that chair is different because I'll say, let's say when I was growing up, my family had a chair like that, yeah? So when I see the chair, it brings memories of the time when I was a kid and my Uncle Bill was sitting on that chair and he used to give me money when I came up to him. You would see this chair, and let's say you notice this chair only in hotels where you travel to it. So your memory of it will give it a meaning, yeah? And the memory that's in here will give it a meaning. Yeah? And so all of us have different conditions and different memories, so we give our lives different meanings, even though we're meeting the same thing. The same experience is really happening, yes? But the meaning we give it is totally different. Now, what's trippy about alcoholism is that people, one of the main qualities of someone who's suffering from alcoholism, be it they know it or not, is they feel terminally unique. They feel like no one feels like they feel. No one thinks these terrible thoughts they're thinking. And definitely no one has done what they do, yeah? And so you sit in this sense of terminal uniqueness, and what occurs is, thank God for this fellowship we're involved in, because they had one of the backbones of this fellowship is to have meetings so that people who suffer from alcoholism can share their feelings and their thoughts and their reactions. And what occurs, I hope, after a period of time of hearing everyone's thoughts and feelings and reactions, you can only come to two conclusions. And one of them is, how can they have my feelings, my thoughts, and my reactions, yes? Or they're not my feelings, my thoughts, and my reactions, yes? They're alcoholic feelings and thoughts and reactions. So in this room, I don't identify with who you are. I identify with what's taking you over, yeah? Because you've been taken over by a parasite. I like to call it a mental parasite called alcoholism. It just picks a, paints a picture that has some wallet for me. And I've been taken over by that same parasite. Yes? So when that parasite jacks into the mental process that produces the sense of being you, it, it infuses that sense of being you with alcoholism. Yeah? So your mental process is producing a feeling of being a you, a self, and that self has alcoholism. What do I mean? It, it has a similar thought system as other people of alcoholism. It feels very similar to other people, and it has similar reactions to situations in life that an alcoholic has, other alcoholics, be it in India, Indonesia, Dublin, yeah, I've been all around the world, and you don't identify with who the people are, but what they've suffered from, because you're suffering from the same thing. Now, this may not mean much, but to me it's unbelievable, because it takes it out of the sense of being personal into an impersonal state, yes? You see that you're suffering from something. You are not that. You are not that which you're suffering from. Yeah? And so 
if you have, let's say you're calling it self-centeredness, we would call it alcoholism. Let's say that alcoholism has been very uncomfortable for us. It's caused us to do a lot of things we'd rather not have done, produce a lot of consequences in our life, and it has, we don't have much of an ease and comfort. We tend to be irritable, restless, and discontent, yes? Which drives us to try to get relief from it. Now, you could view that parasite and those effects as sort of a hostile nature, yeah? The parasite has a hostile nature. It's not benevolent to the host that it takes over, obviously. Yeah, look at your own life. Has it benevolent? <laughs> no, it's sort of... <laughs> It uses you up really, really nastily in a lot of ways. Yeah? So the first natural reaction to a host, if it was taken over or attacked by a parasite such as that, would be to throw it off. Obviously, wouldn't you? If something came upon you and caused your life a huge amount of dis-ease and, and havoc and consequences, your natural reaction to it would be, I want to throw this thing off and live, what? Free from it. Yeah? Even if, like one day would be enough to to uh, convince you that you don't want to live underneath the, that parasite. One day, one incident in your life could have turned off the whole thing. But see, this system, this alcoholism has a tricky, very tricky strategy. It's a very hostile parasite, so it has to have a really good strategy to keep the host at bay so that it can have the host's life. Yeah? So what does it do? It convinces the host that it's the host. Yeah? Oh, that's an incredible move. Yeah. So no matter how bad it gets, you can, when you're identified as it, yes, the sense of being a you is a product of the mental process. It is not natural. Your mind is producing a sense of being a you using body sensations and feelings, yes, and a memory and a lot of freaking thoughts right now. You get a feeling of being a you, a you. When you believe that, the A drops off and now that's you. Now you're identified with the parasite. When you're identified with the parasite, your mind can't entertain being free of it because it's identified as it, yes? So what does it do? That solution, which is the only viable solution, lasting solution, is to recognize you're not that, is put off, put back on the shelf, and now it looks for therapy, it looks for, like, I'll civilize it maybe, it looks like studying relationships, so maybe you'll have one month, you know, relationship with a female or a male that won't flip out, you know, one month, or you'll train yourself not to throw a shoe at the next picnic you go to, or, you know, like that, and then our level of success is that idea, like, like for me, there I was when I was a kid, I wanted to be a marine biologist, after a few years of active alcoholism, my idea of success was not to be arrested. <laughs> I mean, there was no more marine biologist, nothing. I just didn't want to be in jail. And if I didn't go to jail that week, I said, Yahoo! I'm doing great. This is like unbelievable takeover. Yes? So, no matter how much you want to get out of it, if you're identified as it, yes, you've got to see it. It's very clear. No matter how much you want to get out of it, if you're identified as it, all your drive to get out of it is another form of being in it. That's why in AA we say self can't get out of self. Yeah? So when self tries to get out of self, as a self, it ain't going anywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe the fence that it's, that it's uh, captive by maybe go down five feet instead of six feet. Yeah? Maybe your little cell will get an extra two feet, or maybe you'll have a, like a north view or something. <laughs> something. Things may get a little better. Yes? But the fact is, the basic the irritability, restlessness, and discontent will stay. So in recovery, I like to talk about it in recovery, because it's where I come from. So there's the frame. In recovery, it says in our first step, which is, hey, I'm powerless over alcohol and drugs. Yeah? And it's made my life unmanageable. Now, if you listen to it, it sounds like your unmanageability is based on your drinking and using, doesn't it? It says, I'm powerless over alcohol and drugs, and my life has become unmanageable. To me, it sounded like that was the cause of my life being unmanageable, because I was drinking and using. And it was a very rude awakening when I stopped drinking and using, and my life was still freaking unmanageable. Yeah? Because, again, in how it works, the bottom, when they go A, B, and C... Just, you'll get them, you'll get it, it's clear. 
So the A, B, and C, it says you've got to be convinced of these three pertinent ideas. And A, that you're alcoholic and that you could not manage your own life. That's totally different than what it says in the first step. It's much clearer now that you're alcoholic and it says your experiences before and after you get sober will verify this. Before and after. That you're alcoholic and you cannot manage your own life. So the real root of the problem is not drinking and using, obviously. It's managing, yes? Because you can stop drinking and using and for 20 years and yet you're still suffering from the disease of alcoholism. You're still trying to control, unbelievably, and manage your life. And why is because you're not aware that you're identified as the disease. Yeah? Why do you think you're obsessed over you all the day for? Why do you think that's the case? The obsession with you is the bonding agent to the bondage to self. Yeah? There would be so, it would be so easy not to live life from self unless you had so many thoughts about being you. I swear. I mean, it's... Because it's not a natural bonding, yeah? What you are or what you're not, being bonded to an idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity is a big stretch. And so for that bonding to stay in place, it has to have a daily glue, yeah? If the daily glue wasn't applied, it would naturally just split. You'd see, Jesus Christ. Because you'd have so many free samples during the day that you felt really good and you notice that your head was absent when you were really feeling good. And then you put two and two together. Yeah? So the glue has to be applied every day. And so your narrative, your daily narrative in your head is the glue. Yeah? All day, your mind is, is like a radio station, K-Paul, 24-7. It's just broadcasting its view about what's happening, what did happen, what's going to happen. It's got its product line. It's selling you all day. You're right and they're wrong and fuck them or whatever. And fears and resentments are flying and cooked up. And you're pretty much unconscious, yes? Unconscious to the fact that I'm not that, actually. So here it is. So the obsession, the daily obsession, is what bonds you to the idea of self. So it says, please, relieve me of the bondage to self. So really, what the relief to the bondage to self is, is a merely the thought, actually. That's what it is. If you could hear the broadcast of K-Paul, but not be listening to it, you would have a damn good day. It would still be broadcasting. Maybe it had like 100,000 watts. It could get to you, you know, from your middle of your head to your ears. It had that little thing. But the difference between hearing it and listening to it is unbelievable. Hearing it is going to occur because you're conscious, yes? So whatever's happening, whatever sound, whatever's appearing, you're going to see it. Or you have the opportunity to see it. So there is a hearing of it because you're conscious. But the listening is different. Listening is when you're actually moving up into the ass of self. Yeah? You're going up there. Yes? And more and more, as you follow it, you get sucked up, up, and then there's, in this place, it's so dark, false evidence appears real to you, up there. Now, false evidence can never be real. It can only appear real to you. Why? Because it's a subjective experience here. You're giving everything the meaning it has, so you can give evidence that's false the meaning that it's true. Yeah. That's the acronym we use in AA for fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. So here, when you're up the ass of self, yeah, it's dark, obviously. Yeah. So in that darkness, evidence that's happening and, what, and it's being brought to you by your head, your head is now interpreting the day and narrating it and telling you actually what happened, even though you were there, basically. But it's actually informing you what happened from a very slanted point of view, and it appears real to you. Yeah. Now, it doesn't appear real to everyone else. Have you ever noticed when you, something's really bothering you and you try to share it with someone that it isn't bothering? You know, they can have compassion and sympathy, but they're like, fucking bro, get off it. You know? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's so heavy for you, but there's only like a foot between you, but there's no heaviness getting, you know, they're totally immune to it. Why is that? Because it's a subjective experience. Yes? False evidence can only appear real to a you. 
It cannot be real, but it can appear real to you because why? We're having a subjective experience here. Yes? So I see something, but I see it and it means something differently than you see it. So you see something, you're very clear that it's false. I see it, I'm very clear that it's true. Just like it says in, in the book, if you read it, in one of the forewords, it says, we are a hundred men and women who have, seemingly, who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. S check out the word seemingly. Read the definition. Because it means it appears true or false to you. It's a total demonstration of, of the subjectivity of this place. Everything is just what it is or what it isn't based on you. You are given everything the meaning it has. And if you realize that power that is happening through you, and you see what you've been taking to be real for so damn long, and the unhappiness that taking that to be real is producing in you, and then you can entertain, you can switch channels, and try another station, and get another interpretation, and get another value system, and get another system that self is not the center of. Yeah. You want to call it God center, or Buddha nature center, who cares? To me, there's no center to it at all centerless space. Yeah? Like the sense of being present right now that we call the I am is a mind's interpretations of presence. All there is is presence. All there is is consciousness, yes? But our being conscious with the mind, the mind takes being conscious as I am. It immediately claims it. So here, so now, okay. You see that maybe you entertain a little bit of the idea that you give a lot of meaning to things here. And those meanings are coming from a system called self-centeredness, yeah? And that system is a very small system. It doesn't have that many meanings to things. <laughs> really, it doesn't. And its field of possibilities are very limited. Like, your possibility is that you'll meet someone who will save you, yes? Or, when I get this and I get that money, then everything will be okay. But it's never now. You never get the goods delivered now. It's always on a time delay, yes? Oh, you'll be happy, joyous, and free when you do this and get that and have this and go here. Yeah? Which all takes a lot of time. And you're the big doer of it, yes? Or someone else has to do it for you. This is the mind playing God, again, in recovery. This is the how and why of the whole program is to quit playing God. It doesn't work. Watch out. Check it out. What's playing God? Your head. When you wake up in the morning and you think you know the day, what the day's going to be like, what's that? But playing God, yeah? Really. When you go, oh, this is going to suck today, you have no idea. You have a lot of ideas, but you have no verification it's going to suck because life has a real, real sticking point. You have to find out how the day's going to be by living the day, yeah? Like if it's a card game, you're only going to get the 8 a.m. in the morning card at 8 a.m. You're not going to get the 4 p.m. card at 8 a.m. You're not. Now your mind wants to look at the 8 before it even gets the 8 a.m. card and say, this whole day's going to suck. The whole game's going to suck. Yeah. It wants to project as if it's an all-seeing eye how the day's going to be. But life gives it to you one moment at a time. You're only going to get the 3 o'clock card at 3 o'clock. And it's not about knowing, it's about finding out. That's the only way you can truly live is to find out. Yeah? Just like if you think you know the higher power, and you think you know the higher power's abilities to catch you, you'll never know that unless you fall. You have to find out. It will all be up here. And when the shit hits the fan, it won't do you any good. No, you won't have any, you won't have any anchor. You won't be convinced. It will all be mind. It will all be another belief system. Yeah? But... If you surrender or abandon, not you, but abandon the self, that's what it says, abandon yourself over to the care of this higher power, when you fall, you'll know that you're, that you're caught because you, you find out that it happens. And that creates a conviction or a faith, yes? And that faith can override the mind. And to me, right now in this room, everyone in this room has tons of faith, tons of faith. The faith is going to manifest in your life by the vehicle you put in it, yeah, put it in. Let's say you put all your faith on your thoughts. In your thoughts, you're going to have a lot of anxiety this life. Because your life is going to be in what's not happening, really. Most of your attention is about what's not happening right now. You 
worried about next week or five years from now or what happens when the kid goes to school and this and that. And your mind's just going off and it's producing anxiety now from a field called what's not happening. It's unbelievable. Yeah? The same faith, the same energy, given over to something other than the thought system, produces an ease and comfort in your skin now. It doesn't promise you a parking space next week at the meeting. That's fucking baloney. It's it's like... (laughs) It it produces an ease and comfort now. And then, if you recognize here, which is the the easiest thing to recognize because you are here, yeah? you'll have an immunity to there, which is what's not happening. And most of your mind, most of your fear is is not valid at all. It's just mental. Your mind's producing anxiety by being absorbed in what's not happening, yeah? Like, if I'm sitting here and my head's worried about next week, next Friday, I could have a... Like, my girlfriend could be sleeping with my best friend next Friday. And that false evidence appears real to me. So, you know, I'm fuming right now. I'm supposed to be doing something here, but my mind's totally engaged in that. And what occurs when my mind's engaged there, it produces an effect here in the body, yeah? I get pissed, I'm angry, I'm shut off from what's happening, and I'm in the realm of what's not happening. You're fucked. Let's say it gets bad enough, so what do you do? You drink over what's not happening. (laughs) Now you're in a two-year program, and that's really what's happening. Based on your solution to what's not happening. <laughs> so your solution to what's not happening produces two years of what's happening. Delancey Street. <laughs> what a great solution. <laughs> you don't see it? You don't see that happening? Yes. Anything can happen in what's not happening. Anything. You can be fucked in what's not happening. Yeah. Constantly. But there is something that's called what's happening. <laughs> not anything can happen in what's happening. It has a certain set of standards. It has to be happening. <laughs> so it's happening now. But this has a quality what's not happening doesn't have. And that quality is it is happening. Yeah? And I'll tell you, the only way to feel living and life is to be in what's happening. You will only have an interpretation about life in what's not happening. It's dry and scary and there's no God there. There's only a God of self. That God is a weak God. Tell him. Yes? Like it says in recovery, you know, the third step, you turn your will and your life over to the care of a higher power, of your own understanding. That can work when you enter, but I'll tell you, man, hopefully you'll realize you want to know a God of its own understanding. You don't want to have a God of your understanding because it's going to be a weak, weak God. The self will be the big God. Look at it. Here's God, supposed to be everywhere, always, at all times. Yet, you don't know it unless you think you know it. (laughs) You're the one that says, oh, I know God now. And then you're the one that says, I don't feel God now. (laughs) I would say that's playing God, yeah? (laughs) So here, (laughs) what what happens in this thing? If you surrender, if you entertain you're not this, what happens is you find out what God thinks of you. By what it expresses in your life, you find out what it imagines you to be. And I'll tell you, it's going to blow your little conditional mind apart. Because what God imagines you to be is not what you're imagining yourself to be. I'm telling you, it's a whole different animal. (laughs) Really. You will be let off the hook for guilt and shame and given permission to be an asshole if you are one and whatever. You'll just lose interest in you. That's the greatest form of liberation. To be liberated from, from the need to be liberated. Yes? The only thing that really needs to be liberated is what's driving you crazy. And it can't get liberated. But if you're not that, that's the beginning of freedom. I swear. Find out. Put it to the test. Like Lord Buddha said, don't believe anybody. Don't take anything on hearsay. 
listen to a suggestion or listen to an invitation, and if you're moved to, entertain it and see if it works for you. For me, it's worked for me. Of course, you say for me, but that's our language. Yeah? But it has worked, and for a long period of time. And that's the proof in the pudding. Are you traveling lighter or aren't you? Are you either dying as a self or to the self? That's the only thing that can happen here. You're either dying as a self, which is you're listening to your head, you take yourself to be a body, you take others to be a body, you take this to be a real world, solid, and having the ability to affect you greatly, and that you're going to came, you came here and you're going to end, but your soul's going to transmigrate and have another chance or whatever. You'll keep missing the gold ring and come back to the carousel, eons and eons and eons, all this philosophical mumbo-jumbo, but you'll be traveling heavy, very heavy, because you're weighed by what's not happening. And what's not happening has the heaviest weight of all. It's been, I found it's heavier than anything that's ever happened to me in this life was the idea of what wasn't happening. I've been run over by cars. I broke, broke my neck in the water. I'll tell you, they were nothing compared to the thoughts I have about what's not happening. That's the heaviest of all. Yes? When you die into the self, you have immunity to thought. And how it looks is simple to me. I always use this because it explains it really well. If you want to hold something, let's say this weighs a pound, yeah? I give you something else, it's five pounds. You'd know the difference, wouldn't you? One pound, lighter, five pounds, heavy, yeah? All right, so here, put the word money up there, yes? Put the word relationships up there. Put the word, let's see what is important to us. Career up there. So that has a meaning, doesn't it? You see money, relationships, career. Everyone would have a certain reaction to it. Now I'll add one little word to it. Check out how it feels when you say it. Alright? Check it out. Have your own experience. My money. That's important. I can't, I gotta get more of it and can't give any away because it's mine. I'd like to have some of yours and make it mine. Yes? Relationships. Yeah, relationships. My relationships. How many journals have you written about your relationships? How many diaries have you ever scribbled incredible romantic poems in about my relationships? <laughs> Just tons of mental angst produced by my relationships. And then my career. Woo! <laughs> you see the difference? Career. Money. You don't have any that means more to you than when you do. Uh, what was the other one? Whatever. It doesn't matter. And then my money. My career. You see the heaviness? All day, hundreds of thoughts are going through your head about life, about you, about others, about future, about past. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. Every moment you are seeing them. Every moment because you're conscious, you're seeing a number of them. A lot of them are unconscious, but you're getting, you're getting a large amount of them go by. Yes? And every one, every thought... When, you being, when you're engaged with it, because there's just seeing, but when you think you're the seer, when I'm the one that's seeing the thought, the thought now becomes my thought. It's either I believe I thought it, or it's about me, or it's about you in relation to me, or about money in relation to me. It's always in this loop of self-importance. That is how you travel fucking heavy here. If you can extract the mind and then just travel with the thoughts, you'll see that you travel lighter. The exact same thoughts, not changing one thing, just extracting an activity called identifying with. Yes? So the thought is seen, but the identifying it as my thought, or they're about me, or they're about you in relation to me, is now broken. It doesn't have that bond. Yes? And I travel lighter with it. And every day, you're going to have to travel with some weight, because there's a lot of ticket tapes going on, yes? You're getting a lot of information presented to you about you and about life. And I'll tell you, the mind is what causes you to travel heavy with it, or lighter. Yeah? And when you're lighter, I'm telling you, the best solution to dissatisfaction is being satisfied. And the only true lasting satisfaction is knowing that this physical, mental nature is not what you are, and that activates the activity of being spirit. You can't, you're not a spirit, but being spirit. It's a verb, yes? You're seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. Your consciousness. And it has a certain sense when you're 
attention and interest has been broken from that wedded, being welded onto this idea of being a you, a body, this and that. And it can go back into its own nature, which is that movement of being, seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. There's a lightness you can never, never duplicate in mind. Never. And the mind will never do it justice. What it thinks is a spiritual condition is not even close to what a spiritual condition is. A spiritual condition is not a condition at all. It's a movement. You're living it. There's a living it. What you and I are are just a vehicle for an expression of something, yes? Just like alcoholism used us for a while to express itself. Did a pretty good job. Then you get recovered. Now that's not expressing it through you. Something else is expressing through you. What are you? Were you the one who was an addict or are you the one who's recovered? You're neither of them, yes? You're just a platform for some energy to express itself. Called alcoholism or called recovery. Yeah, so beautiful. It's funny, I don't know. When I hear it, it sounds so clear. Because I'm listening to it right now. I said, fucking hallelujah, let's go. You know, I'm always amazed. I just try to, my whole job here, my whole seat assignment is attempt to package it so there's going to be a click in your little safe. So that instead of thinking the light has to come in, you'll realize the light comes out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're going you're gonna to be your own authority someday. Because it is a subjective experience here. Yeah. Yeah. So here, the basic raw data of a day or a moment is consciousness, yes? You have to be conscious to have a life. Without that, there would be no noting of anything. Yes? So consciousness is really the currency of this place. Attention and interest, consciousness. And the basic format of the examples of consciousness here are seeing, hearing, feeling, taste, yeah, and smell. Yeah. And our, we also see and hear thoughts. Yes, don't you? Yeah. They're subtler. They're much subtler than seeing, let's say, a wall. But they're still a thing that's being seen. Yes? That's conscious contact. Consciousness is contacting itself here, really, through seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, smelling. Yeah. So every moment you're on right now, that's what's happening. Your life is comprised of seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, smelling. Yes? Now, the head, the selfing, this mental... See, the mental. there's a mental process going on that produces the feeling of being a you. You didn't have it when you were first born, the first year and a half or two years. You had no idea that you were Jill. You know what I mean? That was slapped on you later. And that's why you don't have any memories. Because memories and self are very synonymous. You don't have much memory when you were like a month or two old, do you? Yet you were here, seemingly. So consciousness was appearing through the body, but it had no sense of other or whatever, and the selfing hadn't occurred. But the selfing arises, and what it does is, it notes seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, but it believes that I'm the one who's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and touching. Yes? Because the mental process that you're wearing like a helmet, self-centeredness, cannot see a verb and leave it alone. It has to believe there's a noun involved. So when there's a recognition of seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, it believes there has to be a someone who's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. Just like in life, when you can't explain something, you'll say God did it. Yes? There's always going to be a noun somehow as the doer. You can't just let everything just be. There's got to be someone's doing this. Yeah? So there's a verb of seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. The head goes, well, I'm the one who's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. Yes? This is the dilemma. Yeah. In fact, the idea of I'm the one is part of what's being seen, heard, felt, taste, touched. It's a thought, yes? It's a thought that's being seen by consciousness, but when it's taken to be it, yes? When the mind goes, no, that's me, I'm the one who's conscious, you become unconscious, in a way. To what? Consciousness. You're unconscious. You're unconscious to the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, aren't you? You're conscious about what you've seen and who's seen it, but very little are you conscious of the seeing, are you? Do you sense the seeing? Is your emphasis and attention 
emphasizing the seeing, or is it emphasizing what's seeing and who's seeing? Hearing. Is your attention emphasizing the hearing, or is it the note that you heard, and who played it, and you? And the thing is, no matter how many things you come in contact with, they're always brought to the one thing that seems to be in contact. Yes? Yeah? So if I have a thousand, if I hear, a, see a thousand things today, there's only one me that saw them all. Yeah? I sat here, and a thousand birds flew by, and I saw every one of them. And there was a thousand scenes, a thousand verbs of seeing, but I believe there was only one seer, me. Yeah? I have five problems in a week. I have ten problems the next week. In 52 weeks, it comes out to maybe 500 problems a year. After 20 years, I've had like 5,000 problems or 20,000 problems. But there's only one me who has the 20,000 problems. You don't see it? There's been all this conscious contact, tons of different things, yes? But you seem to stay the same. This is called identification as a self, yeah? And yet, <laughs> you, well, find out if you're the seer. Question it. I don't want to tell you one thing or the other. It won't help you, but it will help you if you question it. Who is it that's seeing? That's what Lord Buddha supposedly did. He went in, he sat down, he said, I'm going to find out for myself. And he couldn't find anyone in there. <laughs> and he came up with this great revelation of called anatta, non-self. That there is no self. There is no long-lasting, independent, separate entity. I couldn't find it. I've been sitting here for years. <laughs> and that was the freedom. He became, so when they, some guy ran into him the first, after he came out of this thing, and saw him from afar, and he said, to, when he got close to the Buddha, he says, Are you a god? And Buddha says, No. And he says, Are you a saint? And he said, Buddha said, no. He says, are you a guru and, you know, a teacher? And Buddha said, no. And he says, then what are you? And Buddha said, I'm awake. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And not I'm awake, awake. Yes, awake. Because isn't that the case? There is a presence. It's undeniable, isn't it? We call it I am, and then we give it a name. But you can't deny the presence that the whole story is built on. There is an onness here, isn't there? You sense an onness, don't you? There is a presence. The head goes, I am, I'm what's present, Paul. But this presence is bookend by absence. It had to be born and it's going to die. That ain't the presence. Yes? That's like an appearance amidst the presence. Hearing of that, yeah? Hearing of that. How does it feel like? Isn't it, doesn't it feel like you heard it? That's the trip of mine. And then you have an opinion of hearing it in a meeting. I don't like hearing things like that in a meeting. Why didn't he fucking shut that off? That was very inconsiderate of him. And then selfing just takes off. Yeah? And so the, the sense of hearing is gone. It's very under, underappreciated. And now you're just in my selfing about, I didn't like hearing that, and that was very, I hope he never comes back to another meeting, and I'm going to sit farther away from him next time, and I'm going to tell all my friends, that guy's a pain in the ass, I knew, I knew what I saw him when I came and he sucked, and it goes off and off and off, yeah, this takes off, it takes, it claims life, and then it makes its own life up, don't you see? You don't see the thievery. It claims life. It says, I'm the one who's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. And then it takes that life and makes it a story. It deballs it. It neuters it. And then it makes it its own little Frankenstein monster. All about me. I never want to be like what that guy. I'm going to make sure I always turn it off. And then, of course, one day you won't turn it off. And then, then you'll be beating yourself up. Oh, no, I'm just like him. I can't believe it. It's just selfing, selfing, selfing. It's like being in a porno theater. Isn't you fucking sick of it? Debbie doing Dallas and Dallas doing Debbie all day. Fucking go on and on and on. It's so boring. Stale jujubes and fucking lousy popcorn. But you're just immersed in it because we're obsessed with it. Why? Because it's you. Yeah? 
give you an example. I always use this, but it really hits home. I'm interested in some girl in this other room, yeah? Biblically. Hopefully I can go out with her, yeah? Expecting to have kids with her, you know? I haven't even talked to her yet. My mind's running this, writing this story, yeah? But I'm afraid to ask her out because I'm not, I don't want to be rejected. You know, my pride is, no, I'm not really a spiritual person. Sex with anyone? <laughs> what a crazy idea! So there I am, but I'm listening through the wall, trying to, you know. And people are talking to me, but I'm not really paying attention I'm, because I want to hear what she says. Obviously, she's going to be talking about me in the room. There's billions of other people, but and then so people go, they throw a book on the table and says, "How to lose interest in conversations in another room." I page through it, but it doesn't help, you know. Just there, there, because it's a, you know, I think I have given her a lot of meaning. She's going to save me. This one. Not like the other 12. This one. This fairy princess is going to work. Yes, this one. So I'm really, really engaged. And then I hear her talking finally, and she's talking about a guy named Matt, and my name is Paul. What happens? I lose interest, don't I, in that conversation? Like that. <laughs> Where do I end up and when I lose interest in that? Where, the only place I can actually be immediately is right here. Yeah. I don't have to take a three-month workshop how to lose interest, do I? As soon as I realize it's not about me, I lose interest. That's exactly how it happened with me when it comes to the idea of being self. When I saw it wasn't me, I lost interest in it. Yes? My interest turned, dropped down from listening to hearing like that. Yes? Noticing, but not engaged. And what occurred is, the translation of that shift was a traveling lighter here. And I'm not saying life is going to change. The geography of your life may stay exactly the way it's going to play out. But I do believe you can travel lighter over it all. And I sincerely, what keeps the self-centered system engaged is our identification with its center. The idea of self. If you want to get relief from its effects, find the cause of those effects. If you keep trying to get therapy for the effects and never look at the cause, it's just going to morph into more effects. Yes? But if you find the cause and you'll know it, you'll know the tree by the fruit, you will know it by the relief you get. And to me, you truly understand the problem by the solution. The only way you can truly understand this problem that we seem to be suffering in is by the solution. Which is when you recognize you're not self, you'll get the real. You'll see the problem as clear as day. You'll see the construction of it. You'll see what reinforces it. Yes. You'll see what engages it. You'll see how your attention and interest is wed to it. You'll see that thoughts have no power, but it's the gravity of you seeing the thoughts as yours that keeps them hovering. Yes. And the orbits are unbelievable. You'll have a thought that comes by. And because it has my on it, it may have this huge orbit, but it's going to loop back and come back. And you're just going to have the same old, same old. The same fears you had when you were a kid, you'll have now. The same, you know, just... Because the, the planet is what keeps it in orbit, not the thing itself. When the planet drops out, the thoughts are going to take their own course, which is they come and they go. They don't have the power to bond you. Your, your mind, the identification with the thought is what binds you. And the identification is coming from one source, not thousands of thoughts. If it was thousands of thoughts, you'd have to be vigilant as hell, looking at every thought. But it's coming from one planet called Paul. Yes. I know, I've seen it, I've watched it. Yeah, I entertain this. And all I'm, producing, all I'm reporting is what I've been seeing through the transfer from reliance on self to a reliance on something greater than self. That's all I'm sharing is what it looks like from this peculiar little camera when the lenses get cleaned and they get shifted. Now they don't look at everything from this distortion of being a long-lasting independent separate entity. They look from behind there. Yes. <laughs> It's a different view, coming out of the same location, but totally different. And when it's shared, it produces the effect in this room. Yeah. I don't know if you're tasting it, but it gets juicy for me. 
this is what gets produced when this is shared. Yeah? It's like a smell. It's like a perfume. You get an intimation. Ah, yeah. I've seen so many people, the first hit they get is a, an unspoken yes, but then they go home and think about it, and it gets fucking neutered. It becomes a path or a process again. Yes? Oh, I'm going to have to do something about this. No, you don't. Just let it in and see what it does to you. To me, it comes from, if you want to use this metaphor, it comes from behind and leaks out. It's just something else takes over and expresses as you and through you, just like alcoholism did or self-centeredness did, whatever thing has captured your apparatus, this, form, this energy also leaks from behind through almost, like the canvas is pointing outward. You're not looking at the canvas, you are the canvas, and while the colors are bleeding from behind through, you get the intimation of what's happening. It doesn't come from out and paint it on you. It comes from no thing, in a sense. And then it comes, and then it leaks out into thingness. And then you, inti- you get the intimation of it. You can't see it because it is of no thingness, but you'll see its effects in your own life. Yes? And then you'll see it when other people may not be seeing it in their life. You'll start recognizing it. Where even it's not being recognized, there's a recognition from here. Yeah. And talk about let go of all your old ideas. The result will be nil if you don't. Which is the oldest idea you hold? That you're a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. That you're a body. That's the oldest idea. You can get rid of 99 others, but if that one doesn't get rid of, you'll have new old ideas. <laughs> Just keep producing them. Yeah. You'll take spirituality as something you have to do and have to get. You can't do and have yourself into being. It's impossible. You are that already. Yeah. To me, it's like a spiritual subpoena, yeah? You've been served, so to speak. It's done my job. That's all I do. So I don't care what you do, but you've heard it. <laughs> you know, that's the point. That's all I needed for me. I was totally running around like a chicken without a head, and then someone finally had stopped me for a second and said, why don't you look this way? And when I looked that way, and I heard people talk about looking that way, it was like an unspoken yes just happened in and it's become the last answer, you know, in my life. Things became exceedingly clear. And when I went back and read the big book, every time the word self appeared, all these downloads would occur about that self that I'd never had. And I'd been looking at the book for 10 years at that time. All new downloads. And it's like, it was very clear that self is like a foreign installment not of my own nature. It's something that's been acquired or, or uh, conditioned or manipulated. Yes? I've forgotten what I am by constantly remembering what I'm not. Like when you wake up in the morning, don't you have a feeling of the room? You're not seeing it yet, but you have a memory of it, don't you? You have a memory right now of Portland, Oregon. You have a memory of streets. The same thing as you. That's how your mind holds on to you. It's a memory. It's an idea. It's a mental picture. It turns its attention and interest on and polishes all day and worships it in a sense. It wants it to be special and right. Noted in. Your attention and interest gets lost in that reflection. Now life becomes a tunnel vision. And being okay is something that you have to do to get. Yeah? Being at peace is something you have to sign up for a $5,000 retreat and go to Mexico and you know, get massaged and yoga and everything like that. And maybe you'll get a half hour of peace. And you'll think you made it, it was a good bargain. Yeah? Sense of okayness is something like it's, if I'm wearing a brand name a sense of okayness. No, a sense of okayness is, is a way of traveling. Yeah? It's, it's the quality of how you are and how you're not. 
how you are when you're doing and how you are when you're not doing. Yes? It's a value before you accrue value. Yes? And you can't lose it by not accruing value. It can't be added onto nor subtracted. It's in and of its own nature. Yes? A nature of wholeness and completeness. Not to be added or subtracted from. A causeless condition. Not based on what you do and have. The inherent nature of mind, open like the sky, allowing everything to appear in it, yet not being affected by what appears in it. Yes, oh, what a beautiful state that is. Undifferentiated light appearing differentiated here. What a joy. Would you be happy if every sun, sunset was seen exactly the same by everyone? No. The, joy, the juiciness of a subjective experience is so unbelievably rich. It's not something that is, for, is forgone, given or forgone or let go of. It actually gets embellished. Yeah. The absence of you is really the presence of life. And you can really, really see the gorgeousness of it. Because you're, up, you're not up the ass of self all day. You're actually here participating. We're all action figures. So. Any questions tonight? talk to the church about taking this dove down. I see this dove every day, every Wednesday, Monday. seem like that, yeah. So there's like a transition period? It can be. It can be all at once. It can be a transition. It doesn't have any real... I don't think it follows any rules. You know? It, because it's really... Uh, it's complete in and of itself, but it shows a different expression through what it moves through. So for, for people, it may be different. Yeah. I don't know. For me, it was like... A, I can't even say what it was like. Tell you too. Yeah. I had these big moments, but they never put me over the edge. It was just sort of like a seeping, leaking into my head, and where it was, you know, and I didn't know, you know, didn't even understand what was going on. I just noted that I was traveling a whole lot lighter for a long period of time. Yeah. And after, when, when I would sense that traveling lighter, it it, it clarified what was quote-unquote, causing it to seem to be traveling heavy. Yeah? It was just a clear identification. And so, uh, and I, luckily this apparatus has one ability, and that is it's, it's able to be convinced. I was convinced when I finally came into AA, and I've never had a thought or thing about drugs or alcohol in years. Like the problem doesn't exist for me. No, because it doesn't exist as me, I'm not identified. That's the self, yeah. But I have that ability as this to be convinced. It may take me a long time. Like I got my ass kicked out there. And it was really a race if I was going to be alive to be able to be convinced. But when I was convinced, I finally came in AA for two years in programs and three months in pro drug and alcohol programs and whatever I went through. I was convinced it was a done deal. Yes. And that's the same way when I heard this message. It took a while to translate. But when I heard it from this woman, it was an unspoken yes. It was a done deal. It was just going to play itself out in time, but I just knew, you know, like, and it, you know, I can only say now it seems like it was the last answer. I haven't looked for another answer since, yeah, <laughs> which is really cool. <laughs> yeah, so it can play out in time. It will seem like you're doing this and you're doing that, yes. But after more and more, the uh, the ever pressing context of what so overrides all the all the uh, faint 
direction of mind. Oh, yes, I'm connected, I'm disconnected, I'm connected again, I'm disconnected. No. I was close, now I'm far. All this is total baloney. All that's happening is in the context of what's always so. Yeah? You can't move out of what's always so, and therefore you can't move into what's always so. Yeah? It's a recognition you're not what believes it can move out or move in. Truly, that's what it's really about. If you believe you're this, you'll believe you can lose something and you can gain something, only to lose it again. You cannot entertain always being so. Yes? Your mind doesn't go that way. Just like your mind doesn't recognize everything that's always so. It has no sense of gravity until it experiences its absence. Yeah? None. And yet gravity is affecting your body all day. But you have no idea what it is, do you? So the wholeness, what's always so, isn't noted. What comes and goes is where our attention usually is attracted to, yeah? But what's always so has its own flavor. To me, I call it the presence. A lot of people do. It has that flavor. And you sense it. You're intimated. You are that, really. But not as a you. But you are that. And so when the you drops, then the desire for a noun to sort of be the owner or the proprietor of all the verbs drops. And you just see everything is just happening. So you can actually live life as if it's happening. Not to you, but happening. And it's a nicer way to... to be in relationship, let's say, with life, is to see it happening instead of to me. To me is really a burden, yes? To look at life as always conspiring to happen to you is really a fucking heavy view. Yeah. But if you see it as what is happening, hey, you'll be able to ride with what you thought you could never ride with. You know, I would never be able to, I never thought I could put up with this, but you can a day at a time. Because life is about finding out, not knowing. It really isn't. If you really believe you know something, you'll basically will never find out its nature, really. Because you think you know its nature, really. Yeah? So. But the mind wants to know. It finds a security in knowing. Even if it's bullshit, it likes it anyway because it gives it a sense of control. Yeah? Where really living is, the real security of living is being insecure, actually. Uncertain. Like in Zen, it would say, the I don't know mind. So the I don't know mind opens you up to finding out. It's a nice way to travel. Like I did this the other day. This is, I'll tell you this little story. It's really cool. I'm looking for a car. Yeah? I got this car, and as I saw on Craigslist, another guy had a car two years older, the same car. So I thought I'd check his out and compare it to the one I'm thinking of buying. So I went up to Petaluma, which is about an hour away from here. I drive up there, and the guy's from the Bronx. He's talking to me, so he's like a homeboy, you know. He's talking to me, and he's was a he was in the uh, law enforcement business and everything. Now he's a principal at some school in Saratoga, I don't know. And he had shows me the car, and I drive it around, and I said, "Well, now I can tell what my car's like compared to this." Yeah. He says, "Hey, come on, I want to show you something." So he takes me in his house, and he lives there by himself, and he brings me in the backyard. He's got this big pen there, fenced-in pen. He has two walls. Two wolves, seven and a half year old wolves, a, bla- a female and a male, a black female and a male. Yeah? Now here, if I would have sat down for one week and imagined what I could possibly run into going to Petaluma to look at this Mazda 95MX3, no way in hell my mind would have come up with two freaking adult wolves in Sonoma County. Really. A beautiful black one, too. You very rarely see black ones. And yet, what happened is, I go to this thing, just to look at a car, and I get to see two wolves. Now, this guy was funny, because he thought he had his own life, but his life is to take care of those fucking wolves. It was obvious as hell to me. <laughs> what the hell is he going to do with these two freaking wolves? And the story was, well, it's a long story, but he had them since they were three weeks old. Yeah? Beautiful creatures, and the look on their faces when they're looking at you, they are not dog-like, no fucking way. And there's this trippy. So here you go, you know. You think you know. You think you know. You think you know. The frame of life gets smaller and smaller. And you won't let anything else show up. Yes? And you call that security and control. Fuck. What a dry way to go. So that's why I don't believe. I don't like the idea of I want a God of my own understanding. Because if I do, my understanding is... 
like this frame, and that's all of the, 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 the effect of God in my life will be determined by my frame, my understanding of what God is and isn't, like getting me parking spaces, maybe you know, I can get a girlfriend, or something like that. Yeah? But if I, but if I, know, if I want to know a God of its own understanding, the frame goes away, yes? And then God gets to reveal itself in its own form and formlessness, which is fucking huge and keeps you very alert. Because maybe you'll run into two wolves when you're looking for a car in Petaluma. Yeah? It's unbelievably cool. Yes? Shit. I mean, come on. Who would have thought two wolves in Sonoma County, Petaluma? <laughs> is you'll find out what God imagines you to be. Yes, instead of sitting here thinking, I know what I am, why don't you find out what life imagines you to be? Why not? Give it a shot. You might be surprised. That's what allows the old ideas to be let go of, is when they're disputed unbelievably by a demonstration. Not a mental thought or a reading of a book, but by a demonstration of life imagining itself as you. Because your idea of you cannot sit with God, life's imaginations of you. What it, what it takes you to be is not what you think. Yes? Yeah, so, I find it, I don't know, I, I take it, no, it's cool. <laughs> I mean, really, <laughs> I do. <laughs> I pray and I surf, you know, boogie board. Shit. There's nothing like driving to the beach and then your mind doesn't think it's capable of dealing with the surf. Sometimes it can be wise, but you know, it tends to really play really small. And every time you go out there, sort of threatened, you know, scary, your stomach is excited, but you just go out there and you find out. And if it's too much, you usually can take the white water and get back in, but you gave it a shot instead of thinking, I know. And every, you know, for all the years I boogie board, it's almost been like that every time. My head say, no, and I just go out there and I find out. To me, it's a nice quality. I saw my mother know life. She ended up drunk on a couch, drinking Schaefer every day. Falling asleep. Yeah. That's what she took. You know, that's my interpretation of it. But she was a very powerful woman when I was growing up, when, you know, when I was her young son. And then alcoholism set in after my father died when she was about in her 40s. And then this incredibly powerful woman ended up just sleeping every night after work, falling asleep on the couch, drinking beer. And then when I'd come home, the sound would be so low you couldn't hear it, even if you had like Superman ears, you know what I mean? Couldn't hear it. All I could see is things. So I'd sneak up and I'd turn up the volume and she'd wake up immediately and go, put that down. What do you think the neighbors are thinking? Like they could actually hear it. So her whole life was based on what others thought. Ah, she was like hijacked by minds, you know, strung out and just, she had a familiarity, but it was, to me, it was like a sense of misery. But she was, she was familiar with it. Then she did this thing to our family. She always said, why don't you send me to Hawaii every year? Why don't you buy me the ticket to Hawaii? And for years, nobody did. Then one year, we all threw some money, and we bought the ticket to Hawaii. Do you think she went? No. She didn't want to go to Hawaii. She just wanted to tell us she wanted to go to Hawaii. <laughs> she had no intention of ever going to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy, man. That's it, eh? Yeah. Well, with, oh, wait a minute. We have to pass the basket. You yeah. should get a bigger plate, don't you?